Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to our episode of Sheologians. We're here today to put the her in Blanchard. Oh, so we are. It's there. It's there. You all know this story. My name is Emery Yeager. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And uh, I have this cool... Remember when we went to Fight Laugh East? Uh Uh-huh. That was fun. That was the last time I left town. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Was that yeah, 2021? Someone, someone asked me, someone was like, she was like, so when's summer going to come visit you? I was like, I don't know that she is. I was like, not because, like, it's not because of Louisiana. No. It's not because of any of y'all here. No, she just doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> she doesn't. She's awful. She does not go anywhere. Um, I mean, granted, for the first, there was like, there was a pretty significant amount of time, just for any of you guys that forget or didn't know, that every other week, Summer would drive from Las Vegas to Tempe, Arizona yeah. to record episodes. Yeah. So yeah, while you don't go anywhere... There was a period of time where you were consistently yeah. traveling. So well, and honestly, I think I did all my going everywhere as a as a youth. I mean, I was traveling with my parents constantly. Right. I mean, we were in Alaska. We were in the Caribbean. I spent I spent my summers on Long Island. I mean, right. My dad had to fly to North Carolina. He was like, You want to come with me? And I was like, Yeah. And that was my mom worked for the airlines, so we just right. We, we just hopped on planes, and I think I might have just done all my. I did all my going anywhere, like yeah. real. I got it all in, like just yeah, right. Fit it all yeah. in, but no, it is a little actually, um, terrifying. I'm going, Lord willing, to Las Vegas this weekend, and then two weekends after that, I'll be in Kentucky to. Right at the war camp i told you guys about if you want to meet me in kentucky i'll be there um so i have to travel Mm -hmm. like out of town out of the state twice in like the span of three weeks which is just um i'm describing my nightmare i'm describing (laughs) my worst nightmare (laughs) just sleeping not in my bed is yeah it's just not my i'm just an old lady you guys like i just yeah i'm the old lady on this podcast and i'm also <laughs> an old lady in real life so um you guys there can... is something about just your own yeah your own bed yeah and uh or just being around your own stuff and yeah. having like kind of just your routine uh-huh. uh you uh it's just easier to do your routine yeah. when you're around all your stuff. Yeah. 
And I so know. So when you have a little kid, it makes it definitely makes it easier when you have little. Yeah, that's little really kids, what it so. is. Is that is my toddler's coming with me, and he is actually the one who does not think sleep is for anywhere but his his nine night as oh, he calls yes. it. So that's actually yeah. I, I'm I'm looking forward to. I haven't been to Kentucky in a long time, and I like Kentucky, so I'm actually looking forward to that part of it. Um, I do not like las vegas i have nothing good to say except for my church there that i went to is awesome that's the only nice thing i have to say about the entire place. well i have one other thing i have one other thing as a eternal half glass half full type okay of good person. yes give it to me um this weekend will not be the super bowl yes oh <laughs> What she's referencing is that I was supposed to go, we were supposed to go to Las Vegas and we did not realize that we planned that for Super Bowl weekend and Vegas hosted the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And that was, we would not have planned that. And, but the Lord and his sovereignty postponed it. So praise the Lord. We're not going to Vegas Super Bowl weekend <laughs> because that would probably have just been I don't wow. even know what that would have been like. I don't even know. I really don't know. What people don't know about Vegas is that it's actually very small. It is a small, yeah. uh, like circumference wide, mileage wise. It's a fifth yeah. the size of Phoenix. Like literally, Phoenix. Phoenix's valley is enormous. Yes, Vegas's valley. No, is not like no. you're surrounded by yes. mountains. You're like in a little bowl. You're in a bowl. It's it's a bowl. It literally is a bowl. Um, and the way it's built is a bowl. And that's why there's a valley underneath the valley to catch all the water. And people live in the tunnels under the city. Do you know about that? Okay. I mean, I know about Lake Mead. No, no, no. No, no, no. Underneath, I don't know about... Okay. Underneath the city of Las Vegas is a underground tunnel city. And this is for the water. So it regularly floods. But people live okay. down there. Like they okay. live down there. And like obviously the Parisian catacombs. <laughs> yes. You do not you do not want to do not go find them. Do not go there. Do not go there. It is not safe. And it's not just because you're gonna flood. It's because that is where people who are on drugs and living a life of crime will hide out and, and live there. It's and when my husband first told me this, because he's a Las Vegas native, I was like, "Is this like a creepy pasta, like made up story?" Right. Yeah, this is like me? a book legend. Like, <laughs> and and he was like, "No," and he went ahead and showed me. Like, there's, you can watch people interview people like that live under there, and it's underneath the city. So anyway. Las Vegas. Vegas Vegas would have a subterranean crime city <laughs> underneath it. If anywhere was going to have one. Uh, it would be that in Paris, apparently. So don't go underneath the city of Paris either. If you yeah. want to live. Well, that I've heard there's people that live in there. And it's the same thing. It's like they're not living a conventionally no. acceptable life. And no well but also just that you get lost really easily in the right you know it's dark and yeah <laughs> it's yeah don't you this thought crosses my mind a lot i where... love being above ground me too I just, there's a and the thing is like 
I don't, I like being in the forest. I like walking. I don't, I'm not really that afraid of bears. Like there's many things I, but I love doing them all in the day like above the earth's crust yes. <laughs> yes yes when the sun is out and i can uh-huh. see in front of my face um i'm <laughs> i am completely i have no desire also like cave diving or whatever no, no. never a cave no thank you no i mean i it's even debatable if i want to go in a cave that you just like walk into and see <laughs> i've done it and it's cool but like no no not on my list of top 10 no anyway no i'm with you <laughs> caves are not um if you find me in a cave something bad ha- is happening like right this yeah. is i had no choice um <laughs> is the moral of the story and i hope i never find myself there anyway I'll get back to my fight, laugh, feast story. You guys can leave us a voicemail at 470-465-0475. I think this is the part where I should probably invite you um, to join us for our next book club round, which I believe is starting March 6th. Did we say yes, that? it is. Okay. Yeah. March 6th. We are going to be reading um, together with a bunch of other lovely ladies via Zoom Every Wednesday, um, Rosaria Butterfield's Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. So you are formally invited. If you can hear this, you should grab the book, even if you don't join book club, um, which would be silly. But you should read the book either way. Um, And that is starting March 6th. And that is all going to be happening at patreon.com slash theologians. So, okay. The reason I'm talking about this today... So you did your story last week. This is my true crime story. Yes. And I feel like mm-hmm. you've probably heard it. So you've heard something. You've seen this woman's face. It's not brand new news. But um, at Fight, Laugh, Feast, I was at the Canon Press had a table. And I was at the table talking to some of the guys there. And I talked to a man named Jess Hall. And he... um does incredible work. I think he's a little bit of a jack of all trades director producing thing. I mean, whatever, if he's, here's the moral story. If he's been involved in the project, it's an excellent project and I recommend it to you. (laughs) And I absolutely feel comfortable making that blanket statement about his work. But he said something to me, which ironically, I can't remember the exact words, but it has made a massive impact on me. (laughs) (laughs) He said something in that brief conversation we were having at the Canon table um, where I said something so typical and boring to the extent of, oh, well, that's been done before. And he said, okay, but not by you. And his point was when you're doing something creative or you're taking on a project that looking at it as oh well that's been done before is not the best way to look at it and his point was if everybody was like oh that's been done before then nothing new would be produced because everything's been done before right yeah and um that stupid little statement I said 
was immediately deleted from my um, vocabulary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, that was such a great, it was such a great perspective. Um, and so when I was thinking about what true crime I wanted to cover, um, I was like, man, the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case has just been saturated lately. Like, why would I discuss that? And then I remembered <laughs> it hasn't been done before by us. Mm -hmm. And also, I haven't really heard any Christians talking about it. Mm -mm. Um, and I do think there are some applications from God's law that should be applied to how we understand this case that are worth thinking about. So uh, anyway, that's my justification. I also am fascinated by this case, not necessarily because of the case, but because of the documentary. Right. So in 2017, you've seen it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So in 2017, Mommy Dead and Dearest is the name of the documentary that covers this case. And it came out in 2017. And I truly believe that that documentary kicked off so much cultural re it rekindled an interest in a whole new generation of people who were into true crime. And I'm saying rekindled because it is so silly that shows like Dateline and 2020 have been so popular decade after decade after decade. Like the interest in true crime is not new. I do think that it was reintroduced and because we have new mediums like podcasts yeah. and streaming services and whatnot, that um, the interest in this stuff has been uh, rekindled. So I don't buy the, sometimes people are like, oh, true crime. Why are you into that? And I'm like, people have been into that. People have been into what's happening on the news forever. Um. Yeah. This is this is not new, but I think it's kind of been repackaged and rebranded. And I think that that really began with this case, with this documentary. Like I did not when I watched Mommy, Dead and Dearest, I was like, wow, this is how you do a documentary. Like it's a great right. documentary. It's interesting. Yeah. The production value really changed, I think, the way people wanted to watch cases like this and mm -hmm. there were you know there's a few others but this was a this was a big one this and the cool thing one. was it's it stayed low-key for a while so so that when you introduced someone to this documentary they had this spoiler now of course the spoiler is not really like a lot of people just kind of know what's happening with it but yeah that was a big part of it was just this yes. discovery at the end yes but anyway and yeah and then I feel like a, right after that, a bunch of, or right around the same time, a bunch of podcasts really took off that center on true crime. And it just became, I really feel like it, it started with this case. So um, I'm just going to briefly tell you about the case. If you're not familiar, um, this is what happened. So the story is about uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard and her mom who went by Dee Dee. Uh, Gypsy was born in July of 1991 in Golden Meadow, Louisiana. Are you close? Are you far? Well, 
actually what's funny what i just realized is that i did a case in arizona and you did a case in louisiana <laughs> i didn't yeah like oh Facts. no so just i don't know where that is but okay. i'm just gonna go ahead and guess that based off of the accents of everyone involved we're talking about southern louisiana i'm Very, in northern louisiana sounds, yeah so yeah so it's way yeah it's just it's different but anyway if you um if you watch the documentary yes the the accents would definitely indicate to me a southern region yeah. of, of louisiana yes. <laughs> okay so dd and her um and rod are gypsy rose's parents and they were separated and rod just talks about how basically he got dd pregnant and the thing you did back then was you know get married stay together raise the baby um but dd was extremely difficult to live with now i'm not arguing that that is grounds for divorce but i will tell you that um Didi was already at this time family members admit to having suspicions that she had poisoned and killed her mother um she was committing all kinds of check and money fraud um and she moved around a lot so we're not talking about somebody when i say that the reports were that she was difficult to live with. What I mean when I say that is she was a suspected murderer and she was for sure a thief. So I don't mean she was like incorrigible, although that was probably part of it as well. I'm sure um, she was. <laughs> okay. So Gypsy, their daughter, was born in 1991, and by three months old, Dee Dee, who had been a um, a nurse's aide, so she had worked in the medical field, um, she was saying that Gypsy had all of these uh, medical problems, sleep apnea being one of them. So by the time, I mean, her daughter was literally weeks old, she's already... Um, Dee Dee has her staying in hospitals and receiving treatment, although she wasn't getting any positive results. So when they took her in and tested her for sleep apnea, the result was not positive. Um, but she was continuing to take her infant into doctor's offices and claiming that she had things like muscular dystrophy, as asthma, vision and hearing impairment, seizures, um, an unspecified chromosomal disorder. Um, and pretty much not too long into her childhood, um, Dee Dee was put in a wheelchair, given a feeding tube and a breathing machine. When all of that stuff started happening, um, she took Gypsy away from her dad pretty much ASAP. So they were, they got separated and over time, um, Gypsy's dad, Rod, just says like, I wasn't really allowed to see her. Um, and then eventually they just moved. Um, and then by the time that she hit third grade, uh, Dee Dee pulled her out of school and basically told the public school system, like her health issues are just too complicated. Like we can't, we can't keep her in. Then she started having a whole host of surgeries. Um, she had a surgery to remove her salivary glands. 
she had teeth pulled because they had started to rot for some reason that was never really cited. Um, and then by 2008, um, Dee Dee had moved them to Missouri and they had a locked closet in their house that was just medications. Um, so what we know now is that her teeth rotted out because she was give, being given so many medications that she didn't need and that her salivary glands were destroyed also as a side effect of these medications. Mm-hmm. Um, doctors started becoming really like, what is going on? Um, there were several doctors that Didi took Gypsy to who were like, you know, she doesn't seem to have any of the things that you say she has. Um, and a lot of tests were like, uh, you know, this is inconclusive. I don't think she has leukemia. Um, and there was a doctor who, um, <clears throat> there was a neurologist that Gypsy saw when she was 14 who suspected uh, Munchausen syndrome, which is the phrase given to uh, somebody who is l- keeping someone sick or making someone sick in order to convince them that they have all these illnesses and essentially in order to like medically kidnap them. Um, but unfortunately, that neurologist didn't think that he had enough evidence. Another doctor reported uh DD to CPS and caseworkers went and um, visited the house and they were just so convinced that DD loved Gypsy. Like DD was able to, because of her medical history working in hospitals and as a nurse's aide, she was able to convince them that um, nothing was wrong. Um, and essentially, whatever, whatever whenever somebody would question the diagnosis, Dee Dee would just move. (laughs) Like she would just pick up and move. So at some point they lived close to New Orleans. At some point they were in Missouri. Um, And then they actually, during Hurricane Katrina, which hit in 2005, um, it was very convenient for Dee Dee because um, all of Gypsy's medical records were lost and destroyed, including her birth certificate uh using her made-up health issues dd uh landed on the sites of uh habitat her for humanity they felt so bad for this you know this single mom and her very medically needy daughter and how they lost everything in the hurricane so they built them a special pink house with the wheelchair ramp totally outfitted for somebody with medical issues um, as well as a jacuzzi (laughs) Um, in Springfield, Missouri. Um, They were also just on the sites of all kinds of charitable giving places. Um, They went to free concerts. They went to a free Miranda Lambert concert, a Blake Shelton concert, make a wish sent them to Walt Disney world because um, remember uh, Dee Dee claimed that she had leukemia. And so um, they were like the stars of a Relay for Life event, which again is the American Cancer Society's like big event every year is Relay for Life. Mm-hmm. They were like the big guests one year. 
Um, so all that to say, <clears throat> by the time a neurologist and another doctor had reported like, hey, we don't think, we think something's up here. They were kind of established in the community as like just a wonderful, loving mom and daughter team. Um, and then Dee Dee started lying about Gypsy's age. She started to lie to make her seem younger and younger. And she even went as far as to have her birth certificate changed. And her Gypsy's dad reports that he wanted to, when he tried to call Gypsy on her 18th birthday, um, Dee Dee wouldn't let her because she said, you know what? Gypsy thinks that she's um, 14 years old and like, I don't want her to get upset because she has the mental capacity of a seven-year-old and you're going to make her um, upset. Now, we could have a conversation about what happens when a father does not um, pursue or take care of his household here. Um, and I do think that in the documentary and in the interviews, Rod, her dad, does take some level of responsibility and, and apologizes and says, like, I wasn't there. I wish I'd, you know, maybe not enough responsibility. Um, but, oh. you know, it should have been a sign like, hey, your daughter doesn't know she's 18 and your her mom is admitting that she isn't going to let her know that she's 18 years old. Like, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a problem. Um, Gypsy wasn't allowed to leave the house without her mom. Um, she had to hold her mom's hand at all times is what Gypsy reports. And you can see that in the pictures and interviews is like they have to be holding hands. And if Gypsy would start talking and like maybe talking too much, you can actually see Dee Dee like squeezing her hand. Like there were definitely red, there were red flags here, right? Um. And Gypsy knew that she could walk. So at this point, we're talking about somebody who's 18 years old, who is fully aware that she can walk. Um, and in fact, in 2011, she tried to run away uh, with a man that she met at a science fiction convention. So she tries to run away. <clears throat> and... um. Dee Dee was able to find her very, very quickly. And she told the man that Gypsy was underage. Um, but at this time, it's actually a little bit disputed. She was either 18 or 19. Again, for a while, nobody could really determine how old she was. Um, when they got back home, Gypsy alleges that her mom smashed her computer, tied her to her bed, um, threatened to crush her fingers if she ran away again, and that sometimes her mom would hit her and withhold food from her um, when she did something bad. So that was 2011. In 2012, for whatever reason, her mom allowed her to have access to the internet again. And this is also a story of what happens when young people with mental issues are online dating um because what happened yeah, i mean she like 
that I guess that's a part of the conversation too, which is some, it just depends on who you talk to, but it's like she was 18, 19, but I, I do think at the very least we can all agree she was not your typical 18, nope. 19, 20 year old because she had been um, horribly well, abused. Had, right. Yes. And had been, well, and yeah, abuse in general just causes lots of developmental issues, but she was treated often like she was younger and just didn't have a, she didn't have anyone teaching her to be grown. In fact, she had someone encouraging her to act young and right. like <laughs> just childlike. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, while her mom is insisting that she behave like a seven-year-old, she's mm-hmm. 19. Yeah. Um, and when she got online, what did she do? She looked for a man because this is what young people do. They want to get married. This is a natural desire. You're looking for love. You're looking for the one. You're looking to be committed to a person and have your fairy tale. Um. So she got on a dating website and she met a young man named Nicholas Godijohn. Now he lived really far away. He was in Wisconsin. Um, But for two years, they conversed online. And about a year into it, Gypsy told him that her medical issues were not real, that they were fake. And she says that she told him everything and i'm not going to go deep into it i don't think that the um the documentary goes deep into it but i'll just say that they were acting out their relationship online in ways that um were incredibly inappropriate and sexual in nature so gypsy is not confused about how old she is Like, she might have to tell the world that she's 14, but she absolutely knew that she was in her early 20s at this point. Yes. And she she behaved like a a woman, not a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And she kept in touch with him through secret um, Facebook profiles. So finally, in March of 2015, they arranged to meet each other. And this is a very immature plan but essentially they planned to meet at a movie theater in Springfield to see the movie Cinderella and their their desire their dream was that Dee Dee would meet him and like him and that um, they could explain their relationship by oh we just we just ran into each other at the movies and Dee Dee would be okay with them having a relationship well If you've heard anything I said so far, you will know that Dee Dee was not okay. Um, and that she was very upset <clears throat> that uh, Gypsy was expressing interest in a young man romantically. And um, when Gypsy and Nicholas realized that this was not going to work out, um, they planned a way to murder her, murder her mother. Um, so it was planned. It was thought out. Um, 
Gypsy paid for him to take a bus from Wisconsin, where he was from, to Missouri in order to kill her mom. And on June 14th of 2015, uh, Gypsy and Dee Dee, who had a pretty big like fan page, a shared Facebook page, um, there were some scary posts saying that that bee is dead. And so people started calling the cops for a wellness check. And mm-hmm. that is when the cops found Dee Dee um, dead. She had been stabbed 17 times in the back and had reportedly at this point been dead for days. And Gypsy was nowhere to be found. So what everyone assumed happened was that someone had killed Dee Dee and then mm-hmm. kidnapped this poor sick child. Um, and then... Uh, a neighbor of Gypsy's named Aaliyah decided to tell the police about Nicholas John because Gypsy had pretty much confided in her that she was having this on online relationship. And so once the neighbor came forward, it was pretty easy for them to find them. It was less than two days later. Um, they were arrested at John's home. So they had made it from Missouri to Wisconsin. Um And this was the first time that anyone in the community had seen Gypsy walk. So it was shocking. Um, They they had basically planned it. Um, They'd orchestrated the whole thing. um, And the police interviewed her. And initially she was like, oh, wait, what? My mom's dead. What do you mean? Like totally just like pretending to be in shock. Um, But what they found out was that uh, Gypsy and Nicholas had taken all the money they could find in the house. They had hid in a hotel for a few days. Um, Gypsy was wearing a blonde wig, walking around, and then they got on a Greyhound bus and went to Wisconsin. And they had shipped, they had mailed the murder weapon back to his house. Um, and it's pretty disturbing. It's pretty disturbing to they took videos of themselves, like hanging out and laughing it was like just this kind of like really fun time that they were having right after they had uh planned and executed uh her mother um so in missouri a first degree murder charge has the option of the death penalty or a uh sentence of uh, life in prison with no option for parole Um, But the prosecutor, Dan Patterson, once he started finding out, once everyone started finding out the horrific abuse and the just, he called it extraordinary and unusual circumstances around the case, they agreed to a second degree murder charge um, after it was, they were able to prove that she had been abused by this woman for years and years. She was essentially medically kidnapped and and tortured i mean she was forced to have all these surgeries that she didn't need Mm -hmm. um she was actually so malnourished from that life like she had a feeding tube that she didn't need that when Mm -hmm. she went to jail she immediately gained a bunch of weight most people go to jail and lose weight and she gained weight because the situation in jail was just like so much healthier than the one she'd been living in at home so in july of 2016 gypsy accepted the plea agreement so she she did she pled guilty to a second degree murder 
with a sentence of 10 years in prison and um, the time that she'd already spent in prison leading up to her sentencing was also counted towards it. So she spent her time and then, well, and then the documentary came out and she kind of became like a star. I don't know if you remember, but for a while there was like the prison confessions of Gypsy Rose. Um, This case was just like, it was so crazy. It was so hard to believe that someone could get away with all the fake diagnoses and the surgeries, the unnecessary right. surgeries. It's hard to believe it, it. It definitely punctures a hole in your understanding of like, well, how could a doctor carry out an unnecessary surgery? Like it makes you feel right. crazy. Um, mm -hmm. And part of the documentary does center on like, how did this, how did she slip through? Um, but everybody yeah. who talks about Dee Dee talks about just how incredibly manipulative and coercive she was and charming when she needed to be. This was yeah. a really, really wicked, wicked woman. Um, so she went to jail. She got her GED. Um, she's very smart. Um, she had writing projects. Like I said, she um, uh, had all kinds of interviews. Um, her stepmom. Now, her dad, her biological dad and her stepmother, both, they just seem to love her so much, which is another tragedy, I think, in this case, because if you listen to them and how they talk about her, I don't think there's anything they wouldn't have done for her. You know what I mean? Like, I really believe after listening to them um, on the documentary in the 2020 interview, like they would have, if she had called them and said, hey, this is what's going on, I believe it would have been 20 minutes before their bags were packed and they were on an airplane to go get well, her. And I think that, I think that if there's anything you can see um, after you learn who Dee Dee was, you can absolutely see the type of person that the dad was dealing with. Now, Right is right, regardless of circumstance. So if you're a dad, you need to see your daughter. That's your kid. Now, and, but, but you definitely get, to his credit, you get, you, you just see a little glimpse of the type of manipulation he was probably dealing with. And yeah. I, um, yeah. but that being said too, I don't think there would have been a moment where if she had called and said, dad, this is what's happening, that he wouldn't have been like, I absolutely believe you. I'm on I my absolutely, way. Right. Like there wouldn't have been like, yeah, mm, maybe y'all are just having a hard time and you get. No, yeah, no, no he would have. He would have been on his way. Instantly known yeah. that. I mean, this is just my personal interpretation, but I what I get from watching him in interviews is I like, I, I agree that he doesn't take quite as much responsibility as he could, but I sense a pretty heavy disappointment in himself, but not that he didn't see what was going on, but that he knew what was going on and didn't. Right. I don't think he knew exactly what no. was going on, but I do think he knew that something wasn't right. And yeah. 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 And it's like, I also understand that from Gypsy's perspective, he had never really been there for her. 
So why would he right. be there for yes. her now? Right. Yeah. That's not an excuse. I'm not excusing mm-hmm. it, but I, I'm just saying that one of the many tragedies along the way was that it is clear that he would have, he and his wife would absolutely have done whatever they could, whatever yeah. they could. And they would have done it very seriously and intently and right away. And if she had reported what was happening to her father, um, everything she said could have been proven. I mean, she was able to tell Nicholas go to John that she wasn't really sick. Like she, she could have stood up. She could have right. stood up and said, my mom has been making me sit in this wheelchair and I don't need it. Right. <laughs> like, right. And I do think just... in, in some interviews, you'll hear her take responsibility for that as well. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, I do. I also, I, yeah, I do want to grant that I don't, she now I'm sure we'll have more of a conversation at the end, but just what, in terms of what she was taught about what was real and when you are so confused purposely by someone, by like your mother editor yeah, for so long and from such a young age, I do like, I have no way of understanding, of course, what that would have felt like. Um, right. But I do think there, there are responsibilities that transcend, especially after time has certain time has passed. Um, yes. There are things we know without being taught them. Yes. So, and at some point she knew she was keeping a secret as much as not that she was responsible for being picking her life and an abusive right. mother, but she she knew they were keeping a secret and she knew that was wrong. So yeah. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Um, so she, uh, she was, uh, she was put in jail. She agreed to 10 years and she was going to have to serve, I believe up to eight. Um, and essentially the reason that she is, has just been back in the news quite a bit lately was that she was released early um, on December 28th of last year. So she served 85% of a 10 year sentence and then she was uh, released. And I will say um, she was picked up from jail by her husband, Ryan Uh Anderson. So in jail, she had, well, once the documentary came out, which is, again, why I keep mentioning the documentary, because it's such a big part of, I think, what has happened to her since. She got lots of fan mail, Mm -hmm. and um, she had multiple relationships, two engagements while she was in jail. Um, She did end up marrying uh, one of them. Uh, his name is Ryan. And so he saw the documentary and wrote to her and they kicked off a relationship. So there's a very real pattern here of Gypsy just very badly wanting to be in a relationship and mm-hmm. um, with a man and uh, getting that. She she gets that attention um, and mm-hmm. she is married. Um, there was a Hulu series that the actress actually won an Emmy for. Joey King won an Emmy for playing Gypsy in a Hulu series called The Act. I haven't watched it. Um, 
everyone says it was great, but that doesn't really mean anything. Um, and then Patricia Arquette played Dee Dee, and she also won an Emmy and a Golden Globe for her portrayal yeah. of Dee Dee in the show. So it's hard. It it really can't be overstated that the whole story became like a cultural phenomenon. Like it became a, a thing. It became a piece. And part of that, it feels so slimy to me. Like this is a, this is a tragedy. This is a, a horrific story um, that, and it's even, it was even hard for me to watch some of the interviews with Gypsy. I do appreciate like Gypsy straight up says, like, no, that was wrong. Like, I did the wrong thing. That shouldn't yeah. have that shouldn't have happened. Now, yeah. Nicholas Godijon, he is the one who actually did the killing. So he Gypsy uh-huh. was not in the room when he stabbed her mother to death. She planned it. She helped it make it happen. Um, she financially made it happen. She asked for it to happen. And she there let him people, in. There are people that would at this point say, as far as we know, she was not in the room. Okay, that's now, a good I'm not I'm that's not a good going point. to get I'm not going to get into all that because that really is not something we can prove. But you do just have to keep in mind, um I, and I personally, if you just want my opinion, I don't think I think that she hired him hired him it wasn't a hit that straightforward but right she did she yes. did elicit someone to kill her mom and i think that is i think that's what happened but yeah. i do just want to say that that's based off of the account of the two people the two living people that were there for the event so some I'm just saying some people would point that out at this point in the story because some people really do not totally believe that she was not um, physically involved participate in some way but I don't I don't I don't know so yeah anyway <laughs> I don't know yeah I don't know what the forensic I, I don't know yeah um Nicholas Godijon is serving a life sentence uh for the murder and um Gypsy's been, like I said, she's been released as of just a couple weeks ago, honestly. Um, And she immediately had millions and millions and millions of followers on social media. She had all kinds of uh, primetime interviews. um, And she did the whole uh, media circuit. And I don't know if you saw it, but like the funniest, the funniest thing (laughs) was when she was on the view and i think joy behar told her like she, gypsy said something like oh you know i did something really awful or whatever and joy was like no mm-hmm. no no you didn't and gypsy was like no i did like <laughs> yeah. yes yeah. yes i did like yeah. i literally hired someone to kill my mom and that was not yeah. the right that wasn't the right thing right. to do um right it was just a hilarious faux pas that was just so awkward and only yeah. the view could give us such a moment. Well, yeah, just totally reviews, uh, reveals the worldview of our day and age, which is that if you were a victim, you can you totally do, you can do commit no murder. Yeah. 
So that's that's another angle of the story that I think is super interesting. And I personally am coming to just firmly believe that the years 2016 and 2017 were an absolute cultural mm-hmm. phenomena. Um, we started recording at the end of 2016 and got our listeners really in 2017. And since then and and think about the 2016 election think about president trump think about me too and even so much as what i'm finding now online is people are talking about wanting to go back to 2016 makeup and 2016 trends and bring back 2016 and um i don't know that we have like fully understood just the massive earthquake that happened around that time because in 2017 Mm -hmm. as well was really when um the well the the women's march happened in the first one in january of 2017 intersectionality and woke culture was completely took its mask off in 2017 mm-hmm. you've seen an absolute what did Vodi balcom call his book fault lines you've seen the fault lines. yeah yes yeah um it's such an interesting thing that happened in those 12 months between 2016 and 2017 and i really think that the reason that the gypsy rose case has had such a chokehold and such an interest is that it falls in so many of those categories. Yeah. Um, you have abuse, you have the woman who was victimized, um, you have the relaunching of true crime um, as a cultural broader interest and all the things that came along with that. You have the awareness, you know, raising awareness of mental issues and mental health and, um, yeah, I just don't know that it can be that culturally 2016, 2017 can really be overstated because as far as I can see, we live in a completely different world. And it really started then. Like it really for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think future historians are going to write about this time. Yes. yes. <laughs> I really do. Yes. I really yeah. do. I just, I just don't. Um, and it's it's hard to put a finger on exactly all the things that did that. Uh, yeah. But it was a lot all converging at once. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I do think from a biblical perspective, I I do believe that both what Didi did and what Gypsy did, what is punishable by death. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, kidnapping, man stealing. Um, death penalty offense and you could absolutely make the argument that Dee, Dee uh moving gypsy around taking her away from family putting her under all this horrific physical abuse um yeah. was keeping injuring her, pr- her injuring you know, her like torture yes um was def- definitely man stealing false imprisonment all kinds of things now that does not mean that gypsy had the right to have her killed um yeah you and that was far from her only option yes there there are many uh, unfortunately there are many people and children who undergo just wicked ho- just horrible wicked things that it should not even be in a parent's 
uh, instinct to do when they look at the face of their own child. Um, yeah. But, and they don't, and they get out of those situations. And I'm not saying everything's wonderful and they're totally fine, but they get out in ways that don't involve um, unjustly and outside of the law. Yes. To, and that person's life. Yes. So. so God has God has given the sword for to punish evildoers to the state, uh, not to individual households. Um, so that's the important thing to note there. Um, Gypsy knew what she was doing. Her job was to cry out and get help. And I think she's yeah. she would she agrees with that statement now. Yes. Yep. Um, and that is not what she should have done, but, uh, I mean, it, it is hard. It's hard to think about. And it does, I, I understand the, the low trust, um, we live in a very low trust society and, and this story does not help with that. The, the medical, I did watch an interview. One of her former pediatricians was just in tears. He cried, uh -huh. um, because he had his suspicions yeah. he did he did report he was one of the doctors who reported and because of his report cps did go to their house so he felt like he had passed it off to the right right people mm -hmm. but he felt like he he wishes he could have done more um and yeah. he carries that and i am sympathetic for the doctors but also not mm -hmm. sympathetic in a lot of ways yeah um because wow um yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I anyway, think that's... that there yeah, I think that there is an amount of diligence that could have saved Gypsy from experiencing some of the things she experienced mm -hmm. um and would have brought Dee Dee to justice. Yeah. Um because yeah, now you just now there's not even a like well, I mean Dee Dee met she she found justice, but um, you know, God gives a he gives gives a, a formula for earthly justice too. And I think he's very glorified in that. Um Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I uh I it's very interesting. She's you know, overnight she got super popular on all social medias, like you said. And then there's already people canceling her and accusing like the reason I brought up the whole allegedly she was not in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's already people that are just like, yeah, I don't believe you. And this is just, this is like our favorite cultural sport. I mean, yesterday was the Super Bowl, but can we all just admit that that spectating is just our most favorite thing, whether it's football or someone who killed another person or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that people just people have loved having an opinion about her. I did. I did appreciate that she had said she did something wrong. Um, and I don't, the, the weird thing is, is like, if someone was like, well, she should, she should have been put to death. And I'm like, yeah, uh, like, I agree. That's not how, uh, like, we can't, how it went. yeah, right. That's not how it went. And she served her. She, she served the time that she was supposed to serve if for some reason some new evidence was brought up and they could retry her that's just not the way i do think that we need to reform our justice system uh, that's yeah. not gonna happen overnight 
Yeah. But I'm just like, and I don't know. I, and I don't, I don't think we have, we don't have a philosophical, the world doesn't have a philosophical answer as to how to move forward with her. Um, and no. so unfortunately I do think she's kind of just a spectacle and she may enjoy that or yeah, I don't I know. know that I'm sure yeah. I'm certain she didn't get she well, I think it's pretty clear she didn't get the types of affection and attention that would have been really good for her. Um and so I, I don't know, but it is just there really truly is not a case, another case quite like <laughs> this one. There just really oh. isn't. And for her to be out and for her to be on social media. Like OJ Simpson is on social media, but he's just kind of like an old man. And like, I, know. I don't know. Well, that's, that's another interesting piece of just like, because of the time that we live in, like now, like you said, like when OJ Simpson was not put away for his very, very famous case in the 90s. Yeah. Like there wasn't a social media for him to get on and have a right. following and there right. is now, but it's like, what would it have been like? I don't know. Yeah. This is a whole new, just cultural time of like, yeah, they give us free. What do you do on social media? You're giving people free access to your, to your thoughts and your ideas. Yep. And so um, someone that we know had her mother killed now has an insane social media following and I think there's just so much conflict because we're like, well, we also know that like her mother was abusing her for this whole time. Right. Um, and it's it's a weird conflict. Um, I think that a lot of people feel about it. I don't feel any conflict about it. I'm not gonna follow Gypsy Rose on social media. Right. Like I have yeah. no interest no. in in no. I have no interest in any of, of that. And I I think what she yeah. It's a weird time we live in, you guys. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it there. And um, I am curious if you made it all the way to this point in the episode. Like, I want to hear from people their thoughts on 2016, 2017. Like, do you also yeah. feel, do you also feel the cultural shift that happened there? And I yeah. even admittedly, and this could just be, my age or what was going on in my life but like i even think of 2016 2017 as a completely new chapter in my own life yes like it's a it's yeah. a point it's a real pinpoint that i'm gonna have in my life for the rest of my life yeah. um or am i Which alone <laughs> yeah no i don't think so and it's interesting because well there was a, like you said, there, you could draw a line of like how we got up to that point. But then there was like, obviously Obergefell was a huge, that decision was huge for just our culture. That was 2015. But, yep. Yeah. So, you know, that was that, like, a, it was kind of leading up to that, but yep. um, that meant more to the older generations and so there was something about that cross section of like political activism and influencer social media. Yes. Um, it, somehow it all converged. Yes. In that. Yes. In right in 2016, 2017. Yes. 
It was all and... the women baking their concealer with powder on YouTube that did it. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure all the women baking, do you remember? Well, that was a huge part of it. Like makeup, the makeup industry. I during know. that, And it's just not that way anymore. You're not like, we. I don't know, we, something really, yeah. Like you said, historians will really have more articulate things for me than what I just said, but we'll look forward to those I things. I feel all of it. I feel everything you just said. And I'm oh, curious. Yeah. If, yeah. I'm curious if the rest of you guys do too. If you're like, yeah, 2016, 2017. And you're right. I think no, a Burgefell has to be mentioned too in terms of cultural change, because that happened in the summer of 2015. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and um Rosaria, join us for book club. She talks a lot about just the the avalanche, the the speeding up yeah. of things after a Berge, the Obergefell decision, um, which can't be ignored either. So that's really important. Anyway, I'm going to stop us here because we could keep going on that one forever. <laughs> and we obviously feel yeah. very inconclusive about it. But I do feel conclusive in many ways. I'm convinced. You cannot convince me that there was not a major cultural shockwave Mm-mm. from Obergefell to Trump to Me Too to the women's march um praise the lord we had the row decision after all of that but anyway yeah. that's besides the point all right well i do think i do think we we kind of got put right in the middle of it too not that sheologians has had this enormous cultural impact i like to think it has some had some cultural impact on some of the people that are listening to it <laughs> but it was just a very interesting time for us to kind of get thrust into the whole, and then for us to discover one, like we really wanted to have this conversation about feminism and we wanted to have it at this time where all this stuff was happening. And at first people were like, no, it's not happening. And we're like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's happening. <laughs> now, and it's now happening. Just years later, it's like p- things that people were saying didn't exist, that it was just a boogeyman that Christians were making up. Now they're right. we just, like fly them on a flag. It's it's very it's interesting. I doubt I think we have an extra tie because of what was going on for us yeah. in 2016 and 17, but I don't think we're wrong. I think we'll get I think we'll get feedback from other people for sure. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, you can tell us our story, your story at 470-465-0475. Don't forget to join book club. That's happening at patreon.com/theologians and um we'll see y'all next week. Slow down, you crazy child You're so ambitious for a juvenile But then if you're so smart Tell me why are you still so afraid Mm. Where's the fire, what's the hurry about You better cool it off before you burn it out You got so much to do And only so many hours in a day Hey, hey That you can get what you want Or you can just get old You're gonna kick off Before you even get halfway through Ooh, and will you realize Vienna waits for you